For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Herd Tell. Ah, welcome to Herd Tell. It is a Thursday. It is August the 4th in the year of our Lord, 2022. So glad you are with us for Herd Tell. I am Andrew Donaldson. We're going to turn down the noise of the news cycle a little bit, try to get some things that matter, things that are important, things that sometimes get overlooked because people are too busy yelling, screaming, and caterwauling at each other. It's what we do here. Grown Folk Talk. This ain't the Tickle Your Ears show. That's something else. We've got a couple important topics to get to today. We're going to end the program with some charity stuff. Eastern Kentucky continues to get hammered with flooding. We usually try to end on an uplifting good note today. That uplifting good note is going to be all of us. We're going to give you some links to places where you can give and or donate to the relief efforts in Eastern Kentucky. Remember, this is a very rural area. This is one of those places where it'll be on the news briefly, and then they're going to have weeks, months, if not years of cleanup when the TV cameras leave. They're going to need help. We're going to try to give you some ways to help in a practical way as close to the source as possible that we always tell you about. Also, Josh Hawley uh, found himself to be the lone dissenting voice on a piece of legislation. Actually, it was a treaty, the expansion of NATO. We'll talk about that in a minute and how ridiculously he looks. And the only thing more ridiculous with how he looks on this protest vote is his reasoning for doing so on a very important topic of pressing need. We had some primaries on Tuesday. We didn't cover it on Wednesday's program because they were Western primaries and they're still sorting them out. Joe Zemanski, he's our go-to guy, elections-daily.com. He ha- didn't have much sleep. In fact, as soon as we logged off, he went and got himself a nap. Uh, Joe Zemanski's joining us. We're going to talk about some really important primaries. Arizona, hotly contested. A lot of controversial candidates out there. Missouri, Michigan, Kansas with the shocker of the night, and it didn't have anything to do with a candidate. It had to do with a ballot initiative over abortion and also Washington State. Joe Zemanski is our guest on Hertel today. Do not miss that big fat election knowledge burrito. It's going to be good stuff. We're going to start a little closer uh, to the other side of the world than our own. Taiwan, Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, the number three in the line of succession in the United States government, became the highest ranking member to visit that country in some 25 years. It wasn't a big shock and surprise, although they had to kind of maneuver a little bit for safety and security reasons, obviously. China is all sorts of upset. Uh, Z and company, the Communist Chinese Party, don't like this one a little bit because they see Taiwan and they want it back. They can't take it back, though, because Taiwan is decently armed and they are an ally to a lot of the world, including us. There's two angles to this story that I want to cover. One is the way it's portrayed in media, and the other is what China's actions are really telling us that is getting missed here. The first is the way this is portrayed. Read these headlines carefully over this trip to Taiwan by the Speaker of the House. 
how they phrase things is important and how they say it is important. Some of these headlines, they act like Speaker Pelosi going to Taiwan is some kind of great imposition on China and some great provocation. Hold on. The only reason this is a provocation is because of the imperialistic leans of the Chinese Communist Party to take over Taiwan that has been a free and independent country for decades now. They want to conquer it the same way they've overtaken and conquered Hong Kong, although that was a treaty thing and not a military thing, the same way they have expanded through their Belt and Road Initiative, the same way they occupied Tibet. The list goes on and on and on and on and on. They want to occupy. They want to dominate. This is not a provocation at all, except for the Chinese Communist Party getting all in a twist about it. So they're parading their tanks and military equipment up and down the beaches, which is ridiculous. They're pouring the military into coastal areas, and they're going to do a bunch of live fire exercises around the island just as soon as Nancy Pelosi leaves. Which brings us to the second point. What does this action tell you? Oh, they're angry. Oh, they're showing strength. Wait a second. Think about what's going on here. Just break it down to the lowest level for a second. The 82-year-old Speaker of the United States House has so unnerved the Chinese Communist Party, the largest country by population and almost the largest in landmass in the world and one of the dominant world economies. This so unnerves and upsets them that they're pulling out all the stops to do a show of strength. When people need to show you their strength, it's not because they are strong. It is because they are concerned. It's because they are worried. The Chinese Communist Party knows that the wave of history is going to move against them. They have a lockdown technologically on their people. They have a lockdown on their technology to try to keep the information that they get very, very much state approved. They have a lockdown on the people so that they only see the world exactly how the Communist Chinese Party wants them to see it. And seeing a free Taiwan, which is against what they've told their people, and seeing the number three of the leader of the free world country roll into Taiwan and get greeted by cheers and talk about their independence and their economic viability and all these other things, it's a big threat to them. They cannot allow their people to see that. So they parade their military equipment up and down the beaches for the benefit of the Chinese people, not Taiwan, not the world. This scares them. They're scared of the smallest little crack into their information wall that shows free people doing free things. It scares them to death. That's why they're overreacting. Actions, not words. People's actions tell you what they really believe. Them needing to do a show of strength because Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, went to Taiwan, that's not because they're strong. It's because they're scared. And they know their position is way more precarious than what they let on. They need that 750 million strong workforce kept under heel to keep the economy going in China, to keep the money rolling in, to continue the worldwide influence they want to exert. And any sliver of freedom in any way, shape, or form, and any interrupting of the narrative, like Taiwan being a successful free country without China, that's a threat. And that's why they're reacting so strongly. So the provocation is all on China. And the show of strength is not a show of strength. It's a show of weakness. They're going to rattle the saber good and hard. 
but I doubt they'll do anything more than that because it would be bad for business. And China's all about the money right now, especially with some of their economic problems and their population problems on the horizon. Pay attention when people feel a need to show you how strong they are. People that are really strong don't need to show it. More Hertel right after this. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Back to Hertel. Uh, let's talk about Senator Josh Hawley. He is a rep- he is a Republican that is supposed to be representing Missouri, although he doesn't even have a legal address in the state of Missouri. He's a Northern Virginian dweller. Uh, you remember him? He's the one with a raised fist on January sixth. He also has all kinds of presidential ambitions that are going nowhere fast. Uh, NATO expansion was voted on by the United States Senate. It passed with only two people not voting. Rand Paul voted present although he's usually the gadfly on this thing. Josh Hawley, all by himself, voted no. He said this in remarks on the floor of the Senate, quote, and he put this in a tweet because he was so proud of it. Today's vote to expand NATO presence, a simple choice. Either we do more in Europe, more troops, more resources, more spending, or we focus on our number one advisory adversary, China. We can't prioritize both. Yes, we can, you duplicitous little weasel. Shut up. Of course, we can do th- both. We need to do both. Because just because you focus on China doesn't make the problems in Europe, such as Russia, go away. I hate this small-minded little man. I'm tired of him. I don't think he deserves any respect in any of anybody's time. And he's proven it over and over again with his actions. That's just the truth. He's not worth our time. Sorry, Missouri, you're stuck with a dud for a United States senator. Heck, even Rand Paul wouldn't put his name on this vote. He voted present. And he's usually front of the line for this stuff. Plus, it's a really dumb argument because if your argument is that if your argument is that Europe needs to carry more of the load, then having two really important European countries with modern armies and pretty good economies jump into NATO is exactly what you're arguing for. It makes no sense. Neither does your opposition to it. Josh Hawley, find something better to do on your path to coming in fifth place in Iowa in 2024. Because this ain't it. More Hertel right after this.
Uh, welcome back to Hertel. Okay, we've leaned on him this entire midterm season. He's had a couple of weeks off with not a whole lot going on. Boy, did this make up for it, though, this past Tuesday. We got some big-name races, a lot of stuff to go through. Joe Zemanski, he is the uh, head of Elections Daily's Daily Race Ratings team. Uh, he's one of these George Mason kids, but we'll forgive him that because he brings good information. How are you, sir? Great to have you back. Oh, great to be back, Andrew. Uh, I am running on... Uh... Last night's energy and vibes right now, running about four and a half hours of sleep from last night, but you know I love it. Yeah, when we have these Western, one of the reasons we waited an extra day to cover this was these were Western races, especially Arizona and Washington, so we knew we weren't going to have the results. Um, let's just start right there, big ticket item. Arizona still waiting on some results. Where are we as of the recording of this uh, afternoon of Wednesday for Thursday's program? Where are we at? Yeah, so uh, in Arizona right now, uh, in the Senate race, obviously they had two key massive uh, Republican primaries. Uh, the Senate primary uh, to go up against Mark Kelly for the full term in that Senate seat, and as well as the governor's race to finish off against, uh, uh, to replace Doug Ducey. Uh, the Senate primary on that side has already been called Blake Masters, as expected as Republican nominee there. However, in the gubernatorial race, uh, we have not yet called, no one has yet called that race. Uh, Kari Lake, the Trump-endorsed former anchorwoman who's gone through a certain amount of controversies, up by about 11,300 votes right now. It's not a big lead right now for Lake. What we're mainly waiting on right now, it seems like, is late arriving votes in from Maricopa County. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see. These are apparently early votes I've seen online. Uh, we're still waiting on some election day vote for some of these places, but otherwise right now, it seems like this is all going to be coming down to the late arriving early vote in Maricopa County, and we'll tend to see Robson, Robson, from what I've been told, needs to win that batch by about six and a half points. If she does, she will overtake Lake. If she does not, then Kari Lake is the nominee, and thus setting up that race in Arizona. Now, of course, we've been talking about Maricopa County since 2020 <laughs> election, because that was ground zero for all the hot mess out in Arizona. Kari Lake has been talking about it nonstop. Uh, the MAGA wing of the Republican Party has been talking about it nonstop. If this lingers, Carrie Lake was starting with election nonsense before this. they even started voting on Monday and Tuesday. How ugly is this going to get the closer it is? Do we need a definitive winning just for the good of the voting public here, or is this going to devolve and get really ugly really fast? Yeah, if this stays a close race, this is this is undoubtedly going to get ugly. A report say that Lake has already hired the notorious uh, fake lawyer uh, Jenna Ellis to potentially defend her or to uh, litigate voting results in Arizona come uh, this primary. So it'll be really, really interesting to see kind of what comes from that there because, you know, like I said, if these Maricopa ballots, even if, you know, Robeson doesn't win them by enough, if she wins them and thus, you know, tightens this race down to a percent, or maybe even less than that. And this this is going to be a very, very close election, very much like the Pennsylvania Senate race, where it's not going to be done yet, potentially for another couple of weeks here as we kind of go through the motions of potentially dealing with a recount. Does this help or hurt uh, the Republican chances going forward? There's already been talk about all if it's Carrie Lake because of all the controversy, because of all the baggage, that might change this race a little bit. If this drags on, though, does that hurt them going into the general election and what's probably going to be a pretty tight one? I I think it's a pretty undeniable thing that it would hurt uh, the Republican Party uh, in Arizona. I mean, the Arizona Republican Party is as as a structure is already kind of weak as it is currently. 
uh, you know, I, I think a continued long drawn out uh, primary count here, and especially in this gubernatorial race, especially with Kari Lake being right in the center of it, uh, it's it would be damaging, I think, to the general election, and I think it could potentially make things very volatile for November. Obviously, we've seen uh, candidates come together before under tough circumstances, but this this is this has been a bloody race already. Uh, if we continue to see it get bloodier after the count. Uh, this is this is going to be hard to, I think, come together for the November election in Arizona, for sure. Katie Hobbs is awaiting. Uh, she won the Democratic primary very handily. It was a quick call for her. Uh, oddly enough, she's technically in charge of these elections, although there's there's some nomenclature there to be involved. How do you rate it? I know it's hard to do and we don't know the person yet, but where's this race going to stand? In fact, just do it one way or the other. Is there going to be a mark? Is this like one of those things like Mastriona where it could swing it one way or the other just because of who the nominee is? Or is this just going to be a bloodbath all the way through? Uh, personally, I think even even if it's Kari Lake, the big difference between this race in Pennsylvania is that Katie Hobbs is no Josh Shapiro. Uh, Hobbs has some baggage of her own. There's been a lot of claims uh, coming from her office of Secretary of State and from her campaign of a uh, very bad work environment, of a potentially abusive work environment. Uh, there's been claims of discrimination from her Secretary of State office from former employees there. Uh, you know, even with Kari Lake, Hobbs is not as strong as, say, a Josh Shapiro in terms of, you know, uh, just general cleanliness, I would say, in, in terms of scandal. Hobbs does have some baggage to her. She's certainly not a perfect candidate for Arizona Democrats. Uh, honestly, if Karen Taylor ropes in order to pull this out, uh, looking at the candidates themselves and looking at Arizona as a state, in you could, in theory, actually make a stronger argument for Weems Republican in that regard than you could for toss-up, even if I think Lake versus Hobbs. This is still a toss-up race. This is still Arizona. Uh, we should not forget how close this state was in 2020, this was a state that was decided by only 11,000 votes. People, let's be let's be especially in the presidential election. This was an 11,000 vote race. Let's be very, very clear and honest where we find ourselves on that stand. This is going to be a close race in this open gubernatorial race with no incumbent with what's going on. It's going to be a tight race. Uh, this is a toss up race, even if Carly Lake is the nominee. All right, let's finish up Arizona over on the Senate side. There's some undercard stuff that's not quite. We'll revisit that later because we're gonna we're gonna be talking about Maricopa County and the election stuff at a future date. But for now, big picture stuff. Uh, Blake Masters won his race. Mark Kelly is waiting for him. It's not gotten a lot of press, but Mark Kelly has been an absolute money print uh, for the Democratic Party. He is one of the best fundraisers they have. He has gobs of money. The way the primary has gone down, he's just kind of been riding along, not really being involved in anything. Blake Masters has got a lot of backing. He's one of Peter Thiel's guys. He's out at camp with J.D. Vance and some other ones. This is going to be a very expensive fight. I suspect this one gets ugly in a hurry. How do you rate it? Uh, right now, this is definitely a toss-up race. Uh, again, even with Masters, and Masters is another one who could arguably have some baggage. Uh, there are some past quotes from past articles and things he's written. Uh, there's some current quotes now from the campaign. There's a quote uh, that he said that he would defund Social Security, which, while I'm sure there are multiple Republicans out there who would support the idea of that uh, in a state like Arizona, where there are numerous uh, uh, elder individuals that make up the voting base, there is a lot of boomers that depend on Social Security for that uh, fixed income. You know, that is a that is a problematic statement for sure. This is still a toss up race. Though I would say that the fundamentals would support Kelly a little bit more in terms of potentially making this a leans 
democratic race than say the gubernatorial race does kelly is an incumbent and again i i want to mention 2020 again i want to bring this up don't forget that kelly did overperform joe biden by a pretty significant amount uh in arizona in 2020 when he was running concurrently in that special election uh against martha mcsally it was uh he he ran about a point and a half above joe biden in that regards uh, i don't think that's something that should be overlooked either uh, in regards to this race, uh, Kelly does seem to potentially have some semblance of a stronger, you know, ability as a can as a candidate, maybe especially around the Tucson area. He was relatively stronger than uh, Biden was there in that Tucson area, especially in 2020. So that's going to be a key area here in this uh, 2022 race is going to be that Tucson area around Pima County. That'll be a key area to see if uh, Kelly continues to over overperformance there, if he's kind of dragged down into a much closer race thanks to the environment that we potentially be expecting. One last note on Arizona. It's not been talked about because the people that are running for office has been sucking up all the attention. What's Doug Ducey's future, do you think? He he appeals to certain parts of the Republican Party. He's had some success as governor by certain metrics. Uh, some of the other mess, he, he hasn't even gotten really in all the stuff about the election stuff. That all kind of went on underneath him. He seemed to be able to stay above that to a large extent. What do you reckon his future is and next step for that guy is? He's kind of in an interesting spot, isn't he? Yeah, there's been a lot of talk that Ducey is looking at the 2024 as a time where he could run for Senate. Uh, if he decides he wants a future in politics, that's basically it for him. Uh, he's certainly no sure thing to win that primary in 2024. But from what I've heard, that is currently his target right now. Is that 2024 race against Kirsten Cinema and or Ruben Gallego uh, when that Democratic primary will almost assuredly go down in 2024? I'll give him respect just for waiting after ending his governorship before jumping to another race. I'll give him that much. And that is a primary that is going to be very ugly. So there is a very good chance, even in a purple state, that's very contentious. Uh, that ain't bad strategy at all, is it? Because cinema is definitely going to be a target by her own party, isn't she? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like I said, Ruben Gallego, uh, the current, I believe he is the uh, seventh. Uh, no, he is the third district. Now they redid the, they did, they redid some of the numbers, excuse me. So he is now the third district, uh, rep under the, under the renumbering of, uh, Arizona's congressional district. He's the third, he's a uh, part of the Phoenix area and he's relatively progressive. So it'll be interesting to see kind of where that race lies. Cause he's been basically, uh, trending towards challenging cinema since, uh, since the middle of the year. So we'll see where that goes when we get there in next, in the next year and a half. Okay, the feel-good story for those of us that follow politics and have anything vaguely resembling integrity and a conscience and a soul. Uh, let's go over to Missouri real quick, the Show Me State. Before we even get into it, thank God Eric Greetens lost, and he lost soundly. It wasn't even close. He was a distance third. Um, I don't want to even get into all of it. He, of course, resigned as governor. He's had more scandals since then. He's embroiled in a really ugly divorce custody case with even more abuse allegations. Boy, this is just a good old-fashioned win for America and good faith, don't you think? 
I would have to say uh, definitely a early uh, evening sigh of relief. Missouri counted relatively quickly uh, in regards to most of the other states that we saw last night. That's because Missouri, compared to most of the other states that we saw last night, actually has a pretty limited early and mail-in voting period. So most of the votes that we saw from the get-go were election day votes uh, in Missouri. That allowed for a pretty quick counting process. By around 9 p.m., it was pretty clear that Eric Schmidt was going to be Republican nominee. And by a pretty soundly way, too, uh, Greitens, actually, he had been projected to be in second by a good chunk of late polling. In the end, he fell in third. Uh, Vicki Hartzler, you could actually argue, probably overperformed in her congressional district area a little bit. Uh, in, the, in the central part of the state as well, too, around Je- around uh, Columbia, the Jefferson City area, she maybe overperformed her expectations there a little bit. Uh, but Eric Schmidt ran away in the St. Louis area and those exurban suburbs there, crucial to the Republican vote there, totally ran away in that eastern part of the state. And uh, that's what really drew him to victory and certainly a big sigh of relief for Republicans uh, that Eric Schmidt will be joining fellow attorney, Gen- uh, fellow former Missouri Attorney General uh, Josh Hawley in the halls of the United States Senate. Almost certainly we have this ready to say far. The only candidate that we would have even considered moving this race away from Safar with is with Greitens, and uh, he is far, far away from that Senate seat now. So uh, uh, Eric Schmidt, uh, almost, almost certainly, I don't want to say certainly because you never know, but almost certainly will be heading to United States and replace Roy Blunt uh, in, after this 2022. And the thing about that is uh, Cook agreed with you. They actually swung this as soon as this was announced. They had the same feeling that Greetings would have put this in danger. Uh, he's going to go up against Trudy Bush Valentine. That's not Bushes in the Texas Bush. That's Bushes in the Anheuser dynasty Bushes. But since he's probably going to win and he's favored to win, who is Eric Schmidt? Because we spent a lot of time talking about all the others. Uh, Trump endorsed both Eric's kind of somewhat funnily. I don't know if that was on purpose or not. We'll just leave that for some other time. Who is this guy, though? Uh, Eric Schmidt is the current attorney general of Missouri. Uh, he's uh, actually been described as one of the more right-wing attorney generals uh, in America. Uh, but he kind of uh, got his uh, gains back after post-Roe, after the post-Dobbs decision, actually. Uh, he took a lot of advantage of that, pretty much acted immediately to basically ban abortion in the state of Missouri. Uh, that uh, Since that moment uh, in, you know, around, what was that, June, late May, early June, uh, when when that occurred, uh, when that decision was handed down, uh, excuse me, late late June, excuse me, late June, when that decision came down officially from the Supreme Court, uh, Schmidt acted very quickly. That brought up a lot to him. Uh, that brought him a lot of certainly a lot of uh, notoriety around the uh, American, uh, the Missouri gubernatorial base. Here, uh, this is a guy who has certainly. Uh, basically done the job here that you would that you would think a republican attorney general would do if he'd want to run for higher office here and uh yeah that's that's basically it he'll be another relatively right-wing member of the gop senate caucus not you know and probably extreme right wing but he'll be another incredibly right-wing member of that caucus as to be expected when you come from a state like missouri uh he'll be certainly part of that more conservative wing of that senate caucus on the republican side Big picture, we talked about Arizona being a swing state now. Georgia's looking like it's getting a little more purple as you go. Missouri's gone the other way. It used to be a swing state. I don't think we can call it a swing state anymore, can we? No, I mean, it uh, It looked pretty gone in 20, uh, 2016 after Trump pretty massively overperformed expectations there. Uh, 2018, obviously, then Democratic Senator Claire McCaskill uh, lost her race uh, for re-election in the United States Senate to Josh Hawley, even though it was a Democratic wave year. Uh, again, 2020, a pretty heavy Republican sweep. 
2022 is off the radar. Uh, it's been a very quick shift in Missouri. Uh, there's been some gains in the St. Louis suburbs, but not nearly enough to change to from the dark but not super dark red to now the very, very dark red basically everywhere else but Kansas City, parts of Missouri now. Uh, a lot of these other exurban and rural areas have shifted very heavily to Republican Party, and it's going to make it very, very hard for Democrats to win that state uh, in any race, quite honestly, for probably a little while here. Yeah, Joe Zemanski, elections-daily.com. They do great work. Long, like They actually had to take a break in the live stream last night because it's so long. Make sure you're watching the live stream coverage of these things. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we got a couple more states. Kansas, probably the shocking result of the night, at least in the commentariat. Very surprising result out there. Didn't have anything to do with a candidate either. Just a real hot button issue. State of Washington. Uh, a couple other things we're going to talk about. Joe Zemanski on Hertel right after this break. Uh, welcome back to Herd Tell. We're talking to our good friend Joe Zemanski. He's our go-to guy out of elections-daily.com. Um, let's go to Kansas. This was the shock of the night for a lot of people, and it was a ballot initiative. It was a constitutional amendment. Uh, it was called the uh, Value Them Both Amendment. I'm going to read the amendment, and then we'll get into it. It was, quote, a yes vote on the measure would remove from the state constitution the right to an abortion and hand the issue back to the state legislature. A no vote on the measure would make no changes, keeping abortion rights enshrined in the state constitution. Again, this is Kansas. It went down almost 60-40-ish. This was kind of really a shock to a lot of people. We don't always talk ballot initiatives with you, but this is a big part of elections, these ballot initiatives, and this one really surprised folks. Yeah, so, uh, you know, this was part of the post-Obs era. Uh, Kansas was the first state to throw abortion on a referendum ballot uh, to send it to the people, and the people... Uh, pretty clearly gave their answer on this. Uh, you know, it's a, it's not even, wasn't really necessarily tracking for an abortion ban. It was just uh, taking the right to an abortion out of the Kansas constitution. Uh, even that failed to a certain extent, because I think the growing concern was, is that that would immediately go to then an uh, direct abortion ban in some capacity in the state of Kansas. Uh, surprisingly, and I say this, I say this certainly with some amount of sarcasm, but surprisingly, uh, people don't like going straight to a direct ban of things to something that's been available for the past 50 years. People don't like going to a direct ban on it for everything, potentially, uh, even in uh, serious cases of rape or incest uh, or uh, health of a mother. People don't like that. Uh, and voters don't like that. We've known that for a long time. And uh, Kansas voters, even in this deep red state, certainly showed that uh, last night. And you know, I think the total margin was a surprise to me. I wasn't necessarily surprised that it failed, but the total margin was certainly surprised to me. A loss of about 18 points uh, for this referendum right there. Uh, certainly a statement uh, by Kansas voters, that's for sure, uh, on the state of what they wanted to look for in this referendum. Abortion is such a hot topic because everybody's got really deep and trenched. You know, we're not changing a lot of people's minds on abortion. But data-wise, election-wise, we're starting to get some trends going here abortion it means what you how you define the abortion because if you just say abortion people think different things it's really starting to look like when you go to the ballot box in the general public whether it's a red state blue state or whatever late-term abortion folks are pretty well against that you start getting down in that 15 12 week area that's when people start pushing back and then you get below that it kind of switch it 
we we seem to have, although it's a hot debate, we seem to have some numbers that we have a pretty well-defined spectrum here of where the public is at on this, don't we? I think I, I cannot disagree with that in any way. That's certainly the case. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's again, I think last night is a very, very clear statement from the people of Kansas to what they're looking for on this issue. I think it's a very, very clear statement, uh, undeniable what they're looking for. And again, just a, an incredibly clear statement on the issue, which is going to give uh, both parties something to consider now going into these final run-up months of the campaign here. All right, there was some actual elections involving people there, too. Um, Senator Jerry Moran got his opponent, Democrat Mark Holland, won a three-way race. Uh, how is Senator Moran looking for the general election? Uh, Jerry Moran, you know, this is Kansas. Uh, even though it did what it did on that abortion amendment, this is still a very, very safe race. Uh, Moran is a relatively popular incumbent here. Uh, he should have absolutely zero trouble in uh, in uh, victory. Uh, and winning the and winning Kansas uh, when the time comes yep. on election night, he he's very very safe for re-election. Incumbent Laura Kelly, uh, she's getting a challenger, Republican Derek Schmidt. Uh, in the fall, he won his race pretty handily. Uh, any chance this governorship flip? We don't. We haven't been talking a lot about governorships because the the Senate's going to be very very tight, especially with some of the uh, candidates the GOP has nominated. We're pretty sure the House is going to flip. These governorships matter. They matter a lot. We haven't been talking about them as much. What about this Kansas governorship race? Yeah, it's going to be one of the premier gubernatorial races. Uh, I did an article about about uh, recently at how incumbent governors are incredibly tough to beat. Uh, in uh, Even in midterm years, there's only been about an average of two to three uh, since 2002 that have fallen. There's been basically, basically on average about two per midterm cycle that lose uh, in midterm cycles. Uh Laura Kelly could be one of them. Uh, you know, this is a red year, still Kansas. Uh, Derek Schmidt is certainly no Chris Kobach. What Kelly does have in her favor is pretty strong approval ratings. Uh, it's been very, very hard to beat gubernatorial candidates uh, with strong incumbent governors with good approval ratings in past years. It's happened before, but it's incredibly rare for it to happen. Um, this is going to be a close race. We have not lean Republican at Elections Daily. We might be thinking about moving that back to toss up in recent days. We'll see what we do uh, come Monday when we release our next ratings uh, update. But however, this is going to be one of the closer gubernatorial races, but it is also probably still Republicans' best chance at flipping a gubernatorial uh, governor's mansion as things stand right now in America. Interesting name on the undercard from those of us that are still having nightmares about 2020. You just mentioned Chris Korbach. He was one of the, he was kind of the greetings of the life cycle, although he's not as bad of a human being as greetings. Uh, they didn't want him on the ticket then. He lost his Senate race. He's mounting his comeback. He won his primary for state AG. He's going to be facing Democrat Chris Mann. Kobach got a little comeback going, or is this going to be a dead end for him, do you think? I mean, it depends on what he does with it. Attorney General can obviously be a very active role. Kobach has certainly shown before that he will take active roles in these row offices before in Kansas. He did a Secretary of State. Uh, he will almost certainly will as Attorney General. Uh, but he's got to kind of serve out that term first, and we'll see what he does, uh, because Kobach, uh, with this primary win, is certainly not uh, gone from our shores yet in terms of the political world. Uh, darn. It makes for good copy, but uh, I'm sure some of the Republican Party in Kansas are kind of tired of this. Let's go up north, Michigan. Uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer, Whitmer, excuse me, the Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Uh, has been very high profile over the last years for a lot of a couple of different reasons. The COVID stuff, we had the bizarre case of the uh, kidnapping plot against her. 
Uh, she's up for re-election. She has her challenger now. Tudor Dixon, a businesswoman and a conservative commentator, won a really messy primary that actually involves some people getting kicked off the ballot. But we can talk about that in a minute. Uh, Dixon was a Trump endorsee, not really well known. Uh, got some DeVos backing, which, of course, that's a lot of money. Uh, where's this race going to be sitting at, do you think? Uh, right now, we have a lean Democratic. Uh, there again, Whitmer is another one of those incumbent governors uh, that has a pretty solid approval rating right now from the people of Michigan. Uh, the other issue right now as well, as you mentioned, this was just such a messy primary on the Republican side. Uh, Dixon, in the end, comes out of it clean. She was kind of the best of the rest after James Craig and Perry Johnson got kicked off the ballot uh, due to massive, massive signature fraud that was committed by people on their campaign, uh, you know, which is never a smart thing to do. Don't don't commit signature fraud, folks. It's actually very, very easy to find out by the laws of our elections. Uh, but, you know, Dixon was kind of the best of the rest considering the field. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see how she does, of course, uh, in this campaign. Uh, you know, Michigan Republicans uh, also nominated some very, I guess you could say, interesting people for attorney general and secretary of state that probably won't make Dixon's job easier. Uh, of the three states uh, in the Rust Belt that Joe Biden flipped back from Donald Trump in 2020, Michigan was the state he won by the most. It has kind of the most blue elements around it. You know, you have a strong city, you have sub swinging suburbs, Grand Rapids and Kent County, you see it swinging towards them. You've got the Oakland and uh, uh, Wayne suburbs switching very heavily, switching very heavily towards Democrats now. Uh, we're really interested to kind of see where this goes here. Uh, Michigan. Certainly Dixon has a chance, you know, certainly she does. But right now we see Whitmer as a slight favorite. Yeah. My favorite tidbit on this on Dixon was uh, the AP at the bottom described her as a former steel industry executive. I'm reading here who also hosted the conservative program on a streaming channel and once acted in a low budget zombie movie and what her campaign described as, and this is a quote, admittedly lame hobby. So no, no shortages of characters there. Uh, one last thing about Michigan, I have to ask you, because we're going to be talking about this in a year or two, uh, there is a new registered voter, or I should say a, a couple of them, because they are a couple, but I think the new registered voter in the state of Michigan in the next few years might be something to keep an eye on as we're looking at some of these races go back Democrat and wide open. There's one certain transportation secretary that has moved his <laughs> flag to uh, Michigan He's got to work. We, we're talking about Pete Buttigieg. We know the numbers from 2020. He's got to work on minorities. He's got to work on disparate groups, lower classes groups. Michigan got a bunch of them. What do you see the future of him there? Because that's not accidental. Uh, I, I, I say certainly him moving to Michigan is, is at least a sign that he is at least considering running for office again. Uh, if he had stayed in Indiana, I'd say that means he was over other than potentially another presidential run. But the fact that he is moving to a state like Michigan or if he had moved to Virginia, uh, either order would have been a signal to me that he is looking for another run in office. He certainly could if he wants to. Let's not speculate here. We've still got 2024 and 2026 uh, to look forward to. But if he's not on the ticket in some way in 2024, it's not hard for me to see him uh, running for governor in 2026 to re either against Judah Dixon or to replace uh, the term limited Gretchen Whitmer. Yeah, and there's some whispers about Whitmer getting bumped up, uh, whether she wins governor or not. There's a lot. She's very well liked in the Biden administration and the Democratic Party. So she may be moving on before the end of her term, either which way. Let's go out way west to Washington real quick as we wrap up what happened last night. Uh, Senator Patty Murphy Murray uh, got her uh, 
challenger now, Republican Tiffany Smiley. Doesn't seem to be in a whole lot of danger there, but stranger things have happened. How do you have that one? We have rated as likely Democratic right now. Uh, Republicans have shown some interest in Smiley. Now, I do want to hold some caution here. There's only about just there's only about 48 percent of the vote counted right now in Washington state. Uh, they released their mail-in ballots very, very slowly. Uh, hopefully we get some more today around eight Pacific time. Now, if we don't, the next rumor date isn't until Friday. Uh, so uh, it should be said as well that usually statewide, the later ballots are uh, from uh, more right right wing leaning. So we could see that kind of that Democratic margin that we see in that race right now shrink down. However, I do think with this early drop, I think um, Murray's put herself in a pretty good position right now here. It's it's pretty hard to see this race being uh, truly competitive like it was maybe in 2010 uh, when she faced a legitimate, cha- uh, legitimate, uh, pretty legitimate challenge from uh, Dino Rossi, where she only won by about four and a half points that year uh, in that red wave cycle in 2010. Um, one other interesting tidbit, because they do top two voting in the state of Washington, found it interesting. Secretary of State, they've actually got an independent that came in second there. Uh Kind of odd for a state that's kind of known to be a democratic stalwart, don't you think? Well, again, you know, this is uh, they they base. I should say that Democrats only who have an incumbent there, and in Steve Hobbs, he's taking that first spot right now. Again, only about uh, only about a twenty. Uh, excuse me, about forty-seven, forty-eight percent of the vote counted right now. So it's uh, going to be interesting to see who kind of takes that second spot currently between uh, to face off against Hobbs. The actually the Washington Secretary of State office has been one that has actually been uh, held by Republicans in Washington for the last 50 years. It's been their one of their few statewide row offices they've held past the 80s, 90s, uh, when things took a turn for the worse in the state of Washington for them. Uh, yeah, but it'll be very interesting to see kind of where this race goes. If the independent Anderson, then that certainly uh, changes the race on its head a little bit. And the kind of thing you see, you see where that race lies come, uh, me, come November. It'll be very interesting to see where that race lies, I would say for sure. What do we got to look forward to going forward? This was kind of the last of the big gloppy ones, but there's still some voting to do in there. Yeah. So there are still the, I would say that, uh, uh, excuse me, that August is kind of really the, um, uh, kind of the last real, uh, big key month. That's for sure. Normally as it, as it typically is, uh, throughout the month, I do want to say, uh, Thursday, actually, we just do it have on Thursday, actually. Uh, that Tennessee will go vote. Uh, Tennessee, of course, the 5th District is a newly gerrymandered Republican district. Uh, cut out the area around Nashville into, uh, basically cut up Nashville to multiple Republican districts. And uh, now giving the Republicans a new seat, the 5th District is now Republican-leaning so they can see who their nominee is for that there. Uh, it'll be interesting to see as well here uh, other weeks coming up here. Uh, you know, uh, August 3rd, excuse me, uh, August 9th, uh, I believe there are some key primaries as I look at the primary calendar dates here that I uh, have on it here. Yeah, uh, August 9th, we'll have some interesting primaries. Wisconsin is on August 9th, as well as Minnesota and Connecticut. Uh, there'll be some interesting races to look at there when it comes to those nights. Uh, August 16th, uh, that is Liz Cheney's night. That's Wyoming's primary that night. So I'll be really interested to see that night as well. And then August 23rd, that's really the last big night we have. That's Florida and those New York congressional primaries that were delayed because of the uh, forced redraw of their maps. So really, we've kind of got the 9th, 
one state on the 16th in Wyoming, and then the 23rd. The 23rd is going to be our last big night of primaries before we drive into that uh, general election cycle. And we'll be talking to you throughout all of it. Uh, Joe Zemanski, always great stuff. Let everybody know about Elections-Daily, what you've got going on, uh, and where they can follow you on your social media until we get you back again. Yeah, so you can, uh, Elections-Daily, you can follow at Elections underscore Daily on Twitter. Uh, we do, every night there's election night, we'll, we'll be out there on li- live stream on our YouTube, Elections-Daily, or on Twitter. Uh, we live stream there as well. And you can follow me at Joseph Zemanski, all one word. That's S-Z-Y-M-A-N-S-K-I for the last name. Uh, Andrew, thank you for having me on once again tonight. We'll keep doing it. Uh, we uh, got all those things linked to the uh, show notes. So you can find him and all his compatriots. They are a riot to watch. Always appreciate you, my friend. We'll talk again soon. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. Welcome back to Hurtel. We usually try to end on an uplifting note. Tonight, the uplifting note is going to be you. Uh, we're going to detail some of the places where you can give to the Eastern Kentucky Flooding Relief. We've been covering it for a couple of days. It's bad. It's ugly. This is a rural area. This is also going to be one of those cases where the TV cameras are going to leave in a hurry, and there's still going to be a lot of work to be done. So if you want to donate, here's a couple of places you can. Uh, this is from WSAZTV.com. Uh, these are all places close to and verified. We're going to link to all of these in the show notes. Uh, The Foundation for Appalachian Kentucky Crisis Fund, they have a matching uh, pledge from Joe Craft and his wife, uh, former UN Ambassador Kelly Knight Craft. They're going to match all the funds to this fund up to $1 million. You can find that here. Um, Appalachian Regional Healthcare Foundation Flood Relief Fund, they are taking monetary donations online at the link we're going to send you. Also, they're taking cleaning supplies, non-perishable food items, and water. Their Lexington office on Executive Drive. Team Eastern Kentucky Flood Relief. Uh, Governor Brashears established this fund. This is run by the state. All donations to Team Eastern Kentucky Flood Relief are tax deductible, and the donors will be receiving receipts for tax purposes. New Frontier Outfitters, it's a clothing brand based out of Moorhead, partnering with the Foundation for Appalachian Kentucky to raise money. They're going to have Eastern Kentucky Strong Shirts. They're $20 each. All the proceeds of that will be going to flood relief. The Kentucky American Red Cross. We've talked before, national organizations, you can give to them. There's nothing wrong with that, but they're going to go through all their overhead and procedures before the money gets there. This is the state-level Kentucky Red Cross. Gets it a lot closer, uh, your money, to where the need is. Aspire Appalachia, you can donate via PayPal at paypal at aspireappalachia.org. They said make sure you indicate your donation is for the July 2020 flood relief or put Kentucky on there. It'll get to them. Kentucky Horse Council, Kentucky Department of Agriculture, uh, with power outage and people displaced. They are accepting donations for those in need. The collection site is on Corporate Drive in Frankfurt. There's an address that we'll link to. They take donations 8 to 4.30, Monday through Friday, um, all the way through this week. Uh, Christian Appalachian Project. Uh, They have a sharing project that they hope to affect up to 100,000 people. They will be contouring muckout teams. If you don't, know what flood relief entails this is not just water water brings a lot of debris mud and filth it is the absolute worst thing that can happen to a home 
you can literally have inches, if not feet, of just muck and mud and grime to have to clean out of these homes. Uh, these teams from Christian places and other relief organizations, these are critical. They're going to do the backbreaking work actually cleaning these places out. They're going to organize tear out teams. What happens in a home, if they get this stuff in it, you got to tear everything out drywall, carpet, flooring, sometimes subflooring. Everything's got to go. Uh, again, manual labor by these goes. CAP's Operation Sharing Distribution Warehouse is also open to getting supplies needle linked to them. Veterans Club is taking donations starting. 1 August through the duration, Shelby Road in Louisville, Kentucky. They want tools, generators, cleaning supplies, non-perishable goods. Dog and cat food, that's a big one. When we did the flood relief in 2016, the church, uh, my home church that I grew up in, that my parents were at, one of the biggest things they didn't anticipate and ended up running was they had an entire kennel set up outside for multiple dogs and cats because people kept bringing their pets. They needed pallets worth of pet food to take care of them. So you can donate pet food. That's a big need. Find charities close to the source. Get your money as close to the source as possible so it can get into the hands of the people that need it the most. That'll do it for Hertel. Uh, we've got more Hertel one more day in the week. Uh, we'll get to Friday, then we get through the weekend. We're going to stack up some special shows for next week. I'm actually going to be off Monday, uh, Tuesday, and at least Wednesday. I'm having a medical procedure on Wednesday, so we'll see how Thursday and Friday go. We're pre-recording most of next week, so if the shows look a little odd, that's why. But we got great guests. Also, on Monday, I'm moving my kid into college, so I'm taking that day off. I'm going to need Tuesday as a travel day. But we're going to have great Hertel lined up for you. Be sure to watch for that. We've got some exciting stuff coming up. We'll announce it as soon as we can. Make sure you're following us on social media so you can keep up with what's going on. At Hertel Show on the Twitter, at Hertel Show at gmail.com if you want to interact with us. And, of course, Fourth of the Fire, my um, Twitter handle. So until we see you again, wherever you are across the street or around the world, we hope you're well. We hope you're well fed. And we can't wait to talk to you again for more Herd Tell. All the music on Herd Tell is provided under a creative content license from MonsterCat.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.